Chapter twenty five of I Will Repay. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Annie Kirkpatrick. I Will Repay by Baroness Orsi. Chapter twenty five. The Defence. Intense excitement, which found vent in loud applause, greeted Derlaid's statement. Saira, Saira, Vasi Derlaid came from the crowded benches round, and men, women, and children, wearied with the monotony of the past proceedings, settled themselves down for a quarter of an hour's keen enjoyment. If Derlaid had anything to do with it, the trial was sure to end in excitement, and the people were always ready to listen to their special favourite. The citizen deputies, drowsy after the long, oppressive day, seemed to rouse themselves to renewed interest. Lebrun, like a big, shaggy dog, shook himself free from creeping somnolence. Robespierre smiled between his thin lips, and looked across at Merlin to see how the situation affected him. The enmity between the Minister of Justice and Citizen Desrelais was well known, and everyone noted, with added zest, that the former wore a keen look of anticipated triumph. High up, on one of the topmost benches, sat Citizen Lenoir, the stage manager of this palpitating drama. He looked down, with obvious satisfaction, at the scene which he himself had suggested last night to the members of the Jacobin Club. Merlin's sharp eyes had tried to pierce the gloom which wrapped the crowd of spectators, searching vainly to distinguish the broad figure and massive head of the provincial giant. The light from the petrol lamp shone full on Derlaid's earnest, dark countenance, as he looked Juliet's infamous accuser full in the face, but the tallow candles, flickering weirdly on the president's desk, threw Tinville's short, spare figure and large, unkempt head into curious, grotesque silhouette. Juliet apparently had lost none of her calm, and there was no one there sufficiently interested in her personality to note the tinge of delicate color which, at the first word of Desrelaids, had slowly mounted to her pale cheeks. Tinville waited until the wave of excitement had broken upon the shoals of expectancy. Then he resumed. Then, Citizen Desrelaids, what have you to say? Why sentence should not be passed upon the accused? "'I have to say that the accused is innocent of every charge brought against her in your indictment,' replied Desrelaids firmly. "'And how do you substantiate this statement, Citizen Deputy?' queried Tinville, speaking with mock unctuousness. "'Very simply, Citizen Tinville. The correspondence to which you refer did not belong to the accused, but to me. It consisted of certain communications, which I desired to hold with Marie Antoinette, now a prisoner in the conciergerie, during my state there as lieutenant governor.' The citizeness Juliet Marny, by denouncing me, was serving the Republic, for my communications with Marie Antoinette had reference to my own hopes of seeing her quit this country and take refuge in her own native land. Gradually, as Desrelaids spoke, a murmur, like the distant roar of a monstrous breaker, rose among the crowd on the upper benches. As he continued quietly and firmly, so it grew in volume and in intensity, until his last words were drowned in one mighty, thunderous shout of horror and execration. Desrelaids, the friend and idol of the people, the privileged darling of his unruly population, the father of the children, the friend of the women, the sympathizer in all troubles, Papa Desrelaids, as the little ones called him, he a traitor, self-accused, plotting and planning for an ex-tyrant, a harlot who had called herself a queen, for Marie Antoinette the Austrian, who had desired and worked for the overthrow of France, he, Desrelaids, a traitor. In one moment, as he spoke, the love which in their crude hearts they bore him, that animal primitive love, was turned to sudden, equally irresponsible hate. He had deceived them, laughed at them, tried to bribe them by feeding their little ones. Bah! The bread of the traitor! It might have choked the children. Surprise at first had taken their breath away, 
Already they had marvelled why he should stand up to defend a wanton. And now, probably feeling that he was on the point of being found out, he thought it better to make a clean breast of his own treason. Trusting in his popularity, in his power over the people, bah! No one extenuating circumstance did they find in their hardened hearts for him. He had been their idol, enshrined in their squalid, degraded minds, and now he had fallen, shattered beyond recall, and they hated and loathed him as much as they had loved him before. And this his enemies noted, and smiled with complete satisfaction. Merlin heaved a sigh of relief. Tinville nodded his shaggy head, in token of intense delight. What that provincial coal-heaver had foretold had indeed come to pass. The populace, that most fickle of all fickle things in this world, had turned all at once against its favourite. This Lenoir had predicted, and the transition had become even more rapid than he had anticipated. Desrelade had been given a length of rope, and, figuratively speaking, had already hanged himself. The reality was a mere matter of a few hours now. At dawn tomorrow the guillotine, and the mob of Paris, who yesterday would have torn his detractors limb from limb, would on the morrow be dragging him, with hoots and yells and howls of execration, to the scaffold. The most shadowy of all footholds, that of the whim of a populace, had already given way under him. His enemies knew it, and were exulting in their triumph. He knew it himself, and stood up, calmly defiant, ready for any event, if only he succeeded in snatching her beautiful head from the ready embrace of the guillotine. Juliet herself had remained as if entranced. The colour had again fled from her cheeks, leaving them paler, more ashen than before. It seemed as if in this moment she suffered more than human creature could bear, more than any torture she had undergone hitherto. He would not owe his life to her. That was the one overwhelming thought in her, which annihilated all others. His love for her was dead, and he would not accept the great sacrifice at her hands. Thus these two, in the supreme moment of their life, saw each other, yet did not understand. A word, a touch, would have given them both the key to one another's heart, and now it seemed as death would part them for ever, whilst that great enigma remained unsolved. The public prosecutor had been waiting until the noise had somewhat subsided, and his voice could be heard above the din. Then he said, with a smile of ill-concealed satisfaction, "'And is the court then to understand, Citizen Deputy Desrelade, that it was you who tried to burn the treasonable correspondence and to destroy the case which contained it?' The treasonable correspondence was mine, and it was I who destroyed it. But the accused admitted before Citizen Merlin that she herself was trying to burn certain love-letters that would have brought to light her illicit relationship with another man than yourself, argued Tinville suavely. The rope was perhaps not quite long enough. They relayed they must have all that could be given him, ere this memorable sitting was adjourned. They relayed, however, instead of directing his reply straight to his enemy, now turned towards the dense crowd of spectators on the benches opposite to him. "'Citizens, friends, brothers,' he said warmly, "'the accused is only a girl, young, innocent, knowing nothing of peril or of sin. You all have mothers, sisters, daughters. Have you not watched those dear to you in the many moods of which a feminine heart is capable? Have you not seen them affectionate, tender, and impulsive? Would you love them so dearly but for the fickleness of their moods? Have you not worshipped them in your hearts?' for those sublime impulses which put all man's plans and calculations to shame? Look on the accused, citizens. She loves the Republic, the people of France, and feared that I, an unworthy representative of her sons, was hatching treason against our great mother. That was her first wayward impulse, to stop me before I committed the awful crime, to punish me, or perhaps only to warn me. Does a young girl calculate, citizens? She acts as her heart dictates, her reason but awakes from slumber later on, when the act is done, 
then comes repentance sometimes another impulse of tenderness which we all revere would you extract vinegar from rose-leaves just as readily could you find reason in a young girl's head is that a crime she wished to thwart me in my treason then seeing me in peril the sincere friendship she had for me gained the upper hand once more she loved my mother who might be losing a son she loved my crippled foster-sister for their sakes not for mine a traitor's did she yield to another a heavenly impulse that of saving me from the consequences of my own folly was that a crime citizens when you are ailing do not your mothers sisters wives tend you when you are seriously ill would they not give their heart's blood to save you and when in the dark hours of your lives some deed which you would not openly avow before the world overweighs your soul with its burden of remorse is it not again your womenkind who come to you with tender words and soothing voices trying to ease your aching conscience bringing solace comfort and peace and so it was with the accused citizens she had seen my crime and longed to punish it she saw those who had befriended her in sorrow and she tried to ease their pain by taking my guilt upon her shoulders she has suffered for the noble lie which she had told on my behalf as no woman has ever made to suffer before she has stood white and innocent as your newborn children in the pillory of infamy she was ready to endure death and what was ten thousand times worse than death because of her own warm-hearted affection but you citizens of france who above all are noble true and chivalrous you will not allow the sweet impulses of the young and tender womanhood to be punished with the ban of felony to you women of france i appeal in the name of your childhood your girlhood your motherhood take her to your hearts she is worthy of it worthier now for having blushed before you worthier than any heroine in the great roll of honour of france his magnetic voice went echoing along the rafters of the great sordid hall of justice filling it with the glory it had never known before his enthusiasm thrilled his hearers his appeal to their honour and chivalry roused all the finer feelings within them still hating him for his treason his magical appeal had turned their hearts towards her they had listened to him without interruption and now at last when he paused it was very evident by muttered exclamations and glances cast at juliette that popular feeling which up to the present had practically ignored her now went out towards her personality with overwhelming sympathy obviously at the present moment if juliet's fate had been put to a plebiscite she would have been unanimously acquitted merlin as desrelade spoke had once or twice tried to read his friend fouquois tinville's enigmatical expression but the public prosecutor with his face in deep shadow had not moved a muscle during the citizen deputy's noble peroration he sat at his desk chin resting on hand staring before him with an expression of indifference almost of boredom now when desrelade finished speaking and the outburst of human enthusiasm had somewhat subsided he rose slowly to his feet and said quietly so you maintain citizen deputy that the accused is a chaste and innocent girl unjustly charged with immorality i do protested desrelade loudly and will you tell the court why you are so ready to publicly accuse yourself of treason against the republic knowing full well the consequences of your action would any frenchman care to save his own life at the expense of a woman's honour retorted desrelade proudly a murmur of approval greeted these words and tinville remarked unctuously quite so quite so we esteem your chivalry citizen deputy the same spirit no doubt actuates you to maintain that the accused knew nothing of the papers which you say you destroyed she knew nothing of them i destroyed them i did not know that they had been found 
on my return to my house i discovered that the citizeness juliette marny had falsely accused herself of having destroyed some papers surreptitiously she said they were love letters it is false the minister of justice citizen deputy Merlin, will answer for the truth of that it is the truth said juliette quietly her voice rang out clear almost triumphant in the midst of the breathless pause caused by the previous swift questions and loud answers Desrelais now was silent this one simple fact he did not know and Mier, in telling him the events in connection with the arrest of juliette had admitted to give him the one little detail that the burnt letters were found in the young girl's bedroom up to the moment when the public prosecutor confronted him with it he had been under the impression that she had destroyed the papers in the letter-case in the study where she had remained alone after merlin and his men had left the room she could easily have burnt them there as a tiny spirit lamp was always kept alight on a side table for the use of smokers this little fact now altered the entire course of events tinville had but to frame an indignant ejaculation citizens of france see how you are being befooled and hoodwinked then he turned once more to desrelade citizen desrelade he began but in the tumult that ensued he could no longer hear his own voice the pent-up rage of the entire mob of paris seemed to find vent for itself in the howls with which the crowd now tried to drown the rest of the proceedings as their brutish hearts had suddenly melted on behalf of juliette in response to desrelade's passionate appeal so now they swiftly changed their sympathetic attitude to one of horror and execration two people had fooled and deceived them one of these they had reverenced and trusted as much as their degraded minds were capable of reverencing anything therefore his sin seemed doubly damnable he and that pale-faced aristocrat had for weeks now months or a year perhaps conspired against the republic against the revolution which had been made by a people thirsting for liberty during these months and years he had talked to them and they had listened he had poured forth treasures of eloquence cajoled them as he had done just now the noise and hubbub were growing apace if tinville and merlin had desired to infuriate the mob they had more than succeeded all that was bestial most savage in this awful parisian populace rose to the surface now in one wild mad desire for revenge the crowd rushed down from the benches over one another's head over children's fallen bodies they rushed down because they wanted to get at him their whilom favourite and at his pale-faced mistress and tear them to pieces hit them scratch out their eyes they snarled like so many wild beasts the women shrieked the children cried and the men of the national guard hurrying forward had much ado to keep back this flood-tide of hate had any of them broken loose from behind the barrier of bayonets hastily raised against them it would have fared ill with desrelade and juliette the president wildly rang his bell and his voice quivering with excitement was heard once or twice above the din clear the court clear the court but the people refused to be cleared out of court a la lanterne le traitor morta desrelade a la lanterne and in the thickest of the crowd the broad shoulders and massive head of citizen lenoir towered above the others at first it seemed as if he had been urging on the mob in its fury his strident voice with its broad provincial accent was heard distinctly shouting loud vituperations against the accused then at a given moment when the tumult was at its height when the national guard felt their bayonets giving way before the onrushing of human jackals lenoir changed his tactics Cibet, he shouted loudly we shall do far better with the traitors when we get them outside what say you citizens shall we leave the judges here to conclude the farce and arrange for its sequel ourselves outside the Jean? at first but little heed was paid to his suggestion and he repeated it once or twice adding some interesting details 
when it's freer in the streets where these apes of the national guard can't get between the people of france and their just revenge ma foi he added squaring his broad shoulders and pushing his way through the crowd towards the door i for one am going to see where hangs the most suitable lantern like a flock of sheep the crowd now followed him the nearest lantern they shouted in the streets in the streets a la lantern the traitors and with many a jeer many a loathsome curse and still more loathsome jests some of the crowd began to file out a few only remained to see the conclusions of the farce chapter twenty six sentence of death the buton du tribunal revolutionnaire tells us that both the accused had remained perfectly calm during the turmoil which raged within the bare walls of the hall of justice citizen deputy Deroulade, however so the chroniclers aver though outwardly impassive was evidently deeply moved he had very expressive eyes clear mirrors of the fine upright soul within and in them there was a look of intense emotion as he watched the crowd which he had so often dominated and controlled now turning in hatred against him he seemed actually to be seeing with a spiritual vision his own popularity wane and die but when the thick of the crowd had pushed and jostled itself out of the hall that transient emotion seemed to disappear and he allowed himself quietly to be led from the front bench where he had sat as a privileged member of the national convention to a place immediately behind the dock and between two men of the national guard from that moment he was a prisoner accused of treason against the republic and obviously his mock trial would be hurried through by his triumphant enemies whilst the temper of the people was at boiling point against him a complete silence had succeeded to the raging tumult of the past few moments nothing now could be heard in the vast room save foucault tinville's hastily whispered instructions to the clerk nearest him and the scratch of the latter's quill-pen against the paper the president was with equal rapidity affixing his signature to various papers handed up to him by the other clerks the few remaining spectators the deputies and those among the crowd who had elected to see the close of the debate were silent and expectant merlin was mopping his forehead as if in intense fatigue after a hard struggle robespierre was coolly taking snuff from where Deroulade stood he could see Juliet's graceful figure silhouetted against the light of the petrol lamp. His heart was torn between intense misery at having failed to save her, and a curious exultant joy at the thought of dying beside her. He knew the procedure of this revolutionary tribunal well, knew that within the next few moments he too would be condemned, that they would both be hustled out of the crowd and dragged through the streets of Paris, and finally thrown into the same prison, to herd with those who, like themselves, had but a few hours to live and then to-morrow at dawn death for them both under the guillotine death in public with all its attendant horrors the packed tumbrel the priest in civil clothes appointed by this godless government muttering conventional prayers and valueless exhortations and in his heart there was nothing but love for her love and an intense pity for the punishment she was suffering was far greater than her crime he hoped that in her heart remorse would not be too bitter and he looked forward with joy to the next few hours which he would pass near her during which he could perhaps still console and soothe her she was but the victim of an ideal a fate stronger than her own will she stood an innocent martyr to the great mistake of her life but the minutes sped on foucault tinville had evidently completed his new indictments the one against juliette marny was read out first she was now accused of conspiring with paul Deroulade against the safety of the republic by having cognizance of a treasonable correspondence carried on with the prisoner marie antoinette by virtue of which accusation the public prosecutor asked her if she had anything to say no she replied loudly and firmly i pray to god for the safety and deliverance of our queen marie antoinette and for the overthrow of this reign of terror and anarchy these words registered in the butin de tribunal revolutionnaire 
were taken as final and irrefutable proofs of her guilt, and she was then summarily condemned to death. She was then made to step down from the dock and Desrelais to stand in her place. He listened quietly to the long indictment which Foucault Tinville had already framed against him the evening before, in readiness for this contingency. The words treason against the Republic occurred conspicuously and repeatedly. The document itself is at one with the thousands of written charges framed by that odious Foucault Tinville during these periods of bloodshed, and which in themselves are the most scathing indictments against the odious travesty of justice perpetrated with his help. Self-accused and avowedly a traitor, Desrelade was not even asked if he had anything to say. Sentence of death was passed on him, with a rapidity and callousness peculiar to these proceedings, after which Paul Desrelade and Juliet Marney were led forth, under strong escort, into the street. In chapters 25 and 26